Hello, everyone. I'm Eric Powers. I have the guys here with me. Say hello, everyone. What's, What's up? up? <laughs> that was amazing. Uh, guys, we're coming to the end of our book, Lead by Paul David Tripp, and we want some feedback from you as we consider doing a second season with another book later this year. So we have some questions, and uh, we, we really want to hear from you. So Sam, give the people the questions. Absolutely, Eric. So guys, uh, what was your favorite episode from season one, uh, just as a starter for things, but also what was something impactful that you heard in the first season, uh, something that really stuck with you? But also, lastly, uh, would you be interested in a second season, possibly? Great job, Sam. I'm so proud of you. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, we have several ways that you guys can get in touch with us. Joel, tell them how to give us a feedback. Yep, you've heard it again and again. You can give us feedback by emailing us at podcast at gracepoint.church. Again, in your favorite Eric Powers voice. I'm sick of hearing it. Podcast <laughs> at gracepoint.church. You guys can also follow us on social media at the Church at Grace Point and send us a message, Facebook, Instagram. Just let us know. We want to talk about it. This, this is not a, 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 an echo chamber here. We don't want to have an echo chamber anyways. We want to discuss this with you. Absolutely. Uh, Justin, tell them how valuable... Their feedback is. Absolutely. It's very important to us. Uh, we do this for you. Uh, we do this for the faithful listeners that are joining us every week in a, in a posture of learning and trying to become better leaders and followers of Jesus. Uh, the feedback that you give us can help us design a better show and a better second season for, for you guys. Just let us know if you hate us. Let us know if you love us. You know, doesn't matter. I mean, what is important at the end of the day is that you still love Jesus. Uh, it can let us know if you guys want a second season. Uh, you can even pick out some of, some of your favorite guests from this first season or give us some ideas for guests that you want to hear on our show for the next season. And uh, just please give us your feedback. And uh, that is podcast at gracepoint.church. It is super <laughs> valuable to us. Thank you. Absolutely. Justin's asking for it. If you, if you hate us, just tell Justin. Don't tell all of us. <laughs> uh, just kidding. Uh, that's right. We, uh, we really want to hear from you guys. Uh, we're so thankful for you. Uh, for you listening each week. Uh, we're also thankful that you are willing to take the time and answer these questions. You guys are amazing. Uh, let's keep going. Let's keep learning. Let's keep doing this thing together for the kingdom, right? Let's go. Yeah. All right. All right. You guys ready to do another show? Yeah, let's yes, do it. Sir. Let's yeah. get it. You're listening to the Church at Grace Point Leadership Podcast with Pastors Eric Powers, Joel Scoggins, and Justin Mucka, joined by Sam Connor as we talk through Lead by Paul David Tripp. Today, Colin Cook joins the guys as they talk about restoration. The gospel principle is, if a leadership community is formed by the gospel, it will always be committed to a lifestyle of fresh starts and new beginnings. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Church at Grace Point Leadership Podcast, episode 10. We're coming down to the end of this thing, guys. We're almost done uh, with the first book and the first season. We'll see if they buy a second season and we get to come back. Um, but uh, I'm Eric Powers. I got the guys, Joel Scoggins, Justin Mucka, Sam Connor. Uh, we have a, a great episode for you guys this week. Before we dive in, we do want to encourage everyone to join the conversation. You do not have to have the book to be a part of the conversation. You can email us at podcast at gracepoint.church. You can join the conversation by asking questions, give us some feedback, or you can even discuss something that we talked about on the show. We would really, really Really love to hear from somebody, uh, from you guys. Uh, also, we do ask that you would share the podcast, help us spread the word and get the po this podcast out to more people. It's something new that we're trying, and we're trying to get it up off the ground. Uh, so subscribe and share to people in your life that you believe could benefit from a podcast like this. Today, we have a very special guest. 
special, special guest. Uh, Colin Cook is joining us. I'm excited to have him. Colin, you happy to be here? Nah. No, no. not at all. <laughs> all right, great. Uh, we're super excited to have you with us, even though, well, we're somewhat pleased to have you with us. I'm sorry. Uh, Colin is the pastor at Clinging Ridge Baptist Church here in Cleveland, Tennessee. Uh, he was my youth pastor and my boss and my mentor, and all that took place at Clinging Ridge, which was a lot of fun. Um, Colin, uh, before we get started, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your walk with Jesus, your calling? Sure. Uh, stuff like that. Sure, love to. Take it away. Uh, I do want to say um, your plea there at the beginning sounded like you're really lonely, Eric. You just need the people. I don't know. Oh, I'm sad for you. This is going to be a very painful episode. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, me, I can, I'll, I'll start with the right now. I'm, uh, I, I am Pastor Clinging Ridge. I'm married. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Ashley, for 16 years. We have four kids. They are 14, 9, 5, and 2. And um, yeah, that's that's the family life. I've been I was at Clean Ridge uh, with Eric uh, for seven years um, back a while ago, and then uh, uh, went to a couple of other things, and then uh, I'm back at Clean Ridge again um, now as the as the the lead pastor. Um, I grew up going to church. I went to a church here in town, Westwood. Um, it was a good place. Had a lot of fun. Um, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I remember one of my friends uh, in Sunday school, uh, he, he had walked down the aisle, uh, got saved. Um, and when the next week when he came back to, to Sunday school, our teacher <laughs> gave him uh, gave him like three packs of bubble gum because he got saved. <laughs> so next week I got saved. Oh, uh, yeah. He uh, <laughs> got my bubble gum. Yeah, and, that makes uh, sense. And I was like nine or something like that. And uh, it, it sounded great to me. I was like, this is a really good decision. Um <laughs> Obviously, that that didn't take. It wasn't real. Uh, There's was no life change. I didn't understand any of this stuff. Um, Fourteen, I was at a youth camp, and um, the it's funny. It wasn't you know uh, back then. Th- these camps were set up in a way of like there was the night that the gospel is oh, going to yeah. be presented, and everything oh, led yeah, up yeah. to it. It's usually like night three or four. You you build on stuff, and you know there's lots of emotion to it. And I actually got saved on the wrong night. It was the night he was just. Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> he, 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 it was the night he was just kind of talking about sin itself. And so it was. He didn't even. He wasn't really offering the path out yet. It was kind of building up to just you know sin. And I, I just intrinsically understood like, that's me. I'm dirty. I'm disgusting. I have this stuff that I can't fix. It's never going to be. Uh, it can't be something I can do on my own. And I just asked Christ to forgive me. Um, so that started the change. Uh, I had no desire to go into ministry for a long time. All through high school, I didn't want to. I wanted to go away to college. I wanted to go into medicine. And um, <laughs> I uh, going away to college was going to cost a whole bunch of money because I, I ran cross country. And um, I was good enough to maybe walk on a team that I'd looked at. And um, then I was able to get a, a pretty good scholarship at Lee. And so I ended up staying at Lee. My youth pastor convinced me. He said, you're going to have to have a job anyways. Why not work here? And I was like, fine, I'll do your <laughs> dumb stuff. And uh, that led to me realizing how much I loved ministry, loved the church, and um, it's where God revealed that I'm supposed to do this. And so I, uh, I, got, I started working in 2002 at Westwood as an intern. Um, in 2006, uh, I became the, the middle school pastor as I went full-time, and I've, never, I've, I've been in ministry full-time ever since then. Man. That's the that's everything. That's that's my whole life. That's There's no other. Everything's been up and high and happy. No <laughs> downtimes. Nothing bad ever. And now he's a professional pickleball player that wears uh, 
bubblegum colored <laughs> kind sparkly. of bubblegum you chewing <laughs> that's true that, I don't even know what color these are they're like that is a, a like purple pink magenta magenta it's magenta with some sparkles sparkle. with some silver sparkly, sparkles sparkly magenta some tights in the in the office Eric today. is this very is jealous of my clothing he always has been <laughs> I'm sitting over here in khaki pants and really wishing I was Eric wearing those like tights looks like he at State Farm and I look ah. like a professional athlete <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh wow <laughs> All right. Well, Colin, we're so happy that you're here today. Hey, you started that one. I, I did start this. You just finished it. Yeah, he did. He did. Uh, don't. Awesome. Uh, so we're so glad you're here with us. This is going to be a fun show. I can. I know it is. It's going to be super fun. Me. You broke me. He did. He broke Justin. Justin is going to have to cut out 10 minutes of his laughing. <laughs> uh, but we're going to jump in. You guys ready for this? Oh, yeah. All right, yeah, yeah. good. Uh, so uh, we're in Chapter 10, oh. Restoration. Um, <laughs> Eric, do you I need, need restoration re- right now? Yeah, right at the moment. I need to be restored from the what you just did to me. Sick burn. Yeah, call, you sick burn. call you Jake from now on. Uh, no, don't call me Jake. All right, so Chapter 10 is all about restoration. And the gospel principle goes like this. It says, if a leadership community is formed by the gospel, it will always be committed to a lifestyle of fresh starts and new beginnings. If a leadership community is formed by the gospel, I guess that's the first part of the sentence because that's where you have to start. Uh, You have to make sure that your leadership is actually formed by the gospel. Uh, And so you guys, we as leaders, and if you're listening and you're a leader, then you have to make sure that your leadership, you're leading in a way that, that reflects uh, the gospel that shows the gospel to people, that shows the gospel to the people that you are leading, uh, to the ministry, the the people that your ministry, the ministry that you're in charge of is reaching. Uh, it's got to be all about the gospel. Uh, and so if you're dedicated to, to the gospel and formed by the gospel, then uh, it's always going to be committed to a lifestyle of fresh starts and new beginnings. I don't think um, anybody that's committed to the gospel is ever going to be upset or against uh, a new beginning or a fresh start in anybody's life. We shouldn't be anyways. Um, and so uh, Paul David Tripp starts this chapter with a, an incredible story. Uh, it's a long one too. Uh, but it's an incredible story about a phone call that he got from a student. He said that he told, uh, the, the student told him a story about uh, a meeting that he had with his pastor. And uh, when, he, when he met with his pastor, he, 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 his pastor seemed off, uh, super down, messed up kind of uh he was mumbling and and, and stumbling around a little bit and so he, he described he just talked he he honestly he helped his pastor home mm-hmm. uh and just took him home and he mumbled and stumbled into the house uh, he called paul david tripp right after that and uh and just just described the situation described what he had just witnessed uh, in his pastor's life and stuff and, and and paul did something really cool i think this is interesting paul actually calls this pastor and introduces himself and is like hey i'm paul i'm uh, and uh, and he checks on him, and that's pretty cool. I, I think that's awesome that he inserts himself into this situation. He's a guy, uh, Paul David Tripp, being a person that that does this kind of stuff. Like he's all about restoration. He's all about uh, coming alongside the hurting pastors and helping them uh, be better pastors, be better leaders, right? And so um, and so he calls this guy, introduces himself. He tries to check on him. The pastor told him it was just a hard weekend ministry. Uh, we've been there, done that. It was just a hard weekend ministry. I was just emotionally and physically worn out, uh, but he was fine. Thank you for checking on me kind of thing. Uh, a few weeks later, Paul gets another call from a different man uh, that didn't know Paul. Um, and this this is where the story gets really interesting to me. Uh, but he gets another phone call about the same pastor from a guy that didn't know Paul, but just knew what he did and stuff like that. And so this guy calls him 
and uh, begins to describe a situation with the same pastor that his students talked to him about just a few weeks earlier. And uh, the man told him that he was scheduled for an appointment with his pastor. He went to the church. It was kind of later in the evening. Everybody was gone. Um, and a janitor had let him into the into the office building. He goes to the back, can't really find the pastor. He kind of finds his office. Uh, he kind of peeks in, thinks he's praying at his desk, and kind of steps back and then slowly kind of creeps into the room. And uh, he gets closer to, to, his, uh, to the pastor and realizes he's, he's not praying, uh, but he's actually like, pretty much passed out on his desk, has the smell of alcohol, stuff like that. Uh, and so he, he exits the church very quickly and, and calls uh, calls Paul David Tripp and is like, hey, what do I do here? And um, Tripp gives him kind of this uh, the guidance and tells him, calls deacons, uh, report what he's seen and stuff like that. And, and we'll go from, you know, go through this situation from there. Um, the deacons, of course, their their natural reaction is, we're going to set him aside. We'll offer him a severance package. We'll ask him to leave. That was like the the initial reaction that they had. And, and Paul uh, describes this. He's kind of, he's, I like how he says this. He's like, uh, the way they were trying to handle this was like uh, an NFL team handling their quarterback. You know, you have a bad season. You ditch the quarterback. You cut him uh, in the – in the uh, in the MLB, you DFA them. You just let them go. You cut them loose, uh, kind of thing. Um, and he's like, "This isn't this isn't what this is. Like, this is a person, a soul. Like, this isn't a job that is like a quarterback in the NFL. It's, it's um, we need to we need to work with this guy. We need to chase after his soul. We need to do a little bit more ministry here. So, um, so they did release him. That and and but Paul was able to talk to the elders and preach to them about the beauty of God's restorative grace." and the promise of fresh starts and new beginnings that come along with that. And uh, Paul goes on to tell us that the man had fallen so far from God, has returned to ministry. This dude that we see that, that fell so far from God, uh, he returned to ministry. He's a leader, a pastor at a growing, vibrant church. Um, and he goes on to tell us uh, um, the beautiful message that's inside of this story. On the, page of, on the bottom of page 179, he says, Restoration gets at the heart of the gospel that we have given ourselves to. And even if sin necessitates a leader's removal from his position and ministry duties, turning toward him with grace is always right. Uh, and so we see that this is the story that Paul is trying to get to. This is uh, the message that Paul is trying to get to with us is that, hey, uh, like sometimes it is necessary to remove somebody. Sometimes it is necessary to set them aside. But our goal should never be uh, that that's the end. That's it. We're, we cut our ties. We're finished with them. Our goal should always be restoration and restoring them to the gospel, restoring them toward Christ, point, pushing them and pointing them towards Christ and his grace. He goes on to say, uh, he says, we sinners don't just need forgiving grace. We need reconciling grace. And we don't just need reconciling grace. We need restoring grace. And we don't just need restoring grace, but we need delivering grace. And that's exactly the, the pastor that he's describing here. And every single one of us need this, guys. We're, we're dead in our sin and, and we need restoration. We need uh, deliverance. We need freedom from this sin. We need forgiveness from our sin. We all struggle with this. So we need this restoration. And that is the heart of the gospel is, in fact, restoration, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah and I mean, it's, it's one of those things that you probably hear more of the situation like he's describing where it's like the quarterback where where the minister's just set aside, you know, go help yourself. And if you want to find yourself back in ministry, that's 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 up to you somewhere else. But we we have to take this on individually, right? Just like anything in in Christianity itself, 
in our country, if you will, it all takes individual pieces. And it's going to take, whether it's somebody listening to this podcast, whether somebody else is studying this book, you know, however many copies of this has been sold, whatever it takes. And and, and in a lot of areas, just correcting a lot of things that have given Christians a bad name in, the, in, in our communities, too. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's an incredible testimony to the church when they actually do what the Bible says. Exactly. And they actually trust in the gospel that they believe in, and they actually believe they, their actions actually look like the grace and the Christ that they worship, right? That's right. Uh, and so it's incredible when we, it's a beautiful picture to the world uh, when the church takes a leader and says, no, we're not just going to push you out and get rid of you and cut you and crucify you. No, we're going to love you uh, back to Jesus. We're going to restore mm-hmm. you. We're going to give you steps of restoration, and we're going to point you back to the gospel that you were once uh, surrendered to, but obviously your life has left behind. So we're going to remind you of this gospel and remind you of Jesus and remind you of his love and his grace and his forgiveness and the freedom that you have in him. Um, and we're going to see that take place in your life again. Yeah, and it's going to take individuals going against tradition and mm. pushing for truth, the mm. truth of the word. Absolutely. Mm. And I like how he doesn't stop with that restoration whenever he's talking about it at the bottom of that page. He says something else about delivering grace. And I think that's important that in the restoration, it's not like, oh, you were doing great and then you fell away from it. Oh, let's restore you back to where you were. And, and if we leave it at that point, then what's to say that's not going to happen again and again and again? So that that can't be like the the end. Like there needs to be um, a change. Like you're not going to be completely restored if you're not if there isn't a change in the way that you're thinking about something, the way that you're living. Like uh, just the the situation that's going on. Like your heart has to change too. And I feel like um, calling it that delivering grace is really um, pushing the fact that. It's Jesus that brings about that change and not just um, the mindset that you have. Well, it is a part of your mindset, but Jesus helps change it, not just yourself, you know. Well, and it makes me think, you know, I, why was this guy um, living in secret sin? Hmm. Because pastors aren't allowed to have sin. Right. Mm. They're not allowed to be sinners. Um, we're not allowed to be sinners because if we're sinners, then we lose our platform where that's wrong. That's a culture that has to change. It has to. It, it's got to. Um, because the reason we're seeing, because that's not. A, it's, this is not an uncommon story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, pastors falling from grace, falling into terrible sin, finding the secrets in the, the, they're in is a very common story, and they almost always get fired. It's almost always very public. It's uh, you know all that stuff. The the reason is not that they're worse humans than any of the rest of the people. It's that they're humans. And they're humans that have been somehow elevated to a pedestal and said, now you're up here, live in this sin-free life by yourself. What happens when you live by yourself? You fall into sin. God's called us to live in community. And so we've got to get rid of this um, mindset that somehow being called into ministry uh, gets rid of your uh, necessity for accountability and the ability to struggle and that you have to have people you can struggle with. Yeah. Um, it's, that's a have to. So good. Honestly, that leads perfectly into the very first subtitle that we we're given inside of this chapter, where he says, "Everybody believes in grace with until a leader needs it." So everybody believes in grace until a leader needs it, and that that kind of punches you right in the mouth. It's like, yeah, absolutely, because we do, like you said, we do set leaders on these pedestals, and we do have expectations for our leaders and, and our pastors and people that, that they are supposed to live uh, 
out what they're preaching and they're not supposed to struggle and all this. Like we do have these bad expectations built up for leaders inside of our lives. And, and, and when they fail, our initial reaction, our immediate reaction is always to just, to just fire them, let them go, forget them uh, kind of thing. And so, but we all need, like you said, they're, they're exactly like the rest of us. They're people. We are people like leaders are people that desperately need grace that desperately need to be shown Jesus over and over and over again. They need a community that's reminding them of the gospel that they are serving and they are living for. Yeah. I love how he says it on, on, on 180, uh, that no leader has graduated from his need for grace. Mm-hmm. It's not like once you achieve this position that this glory is just shown upon you <laughs> and you're just, you know, walking around glowing like Moses, you know, <laughs> Um, it's, it's, it's a daily fight. It's, it's like we've already talked about and we continue to go back to it. It's spiritual warfare every day. Everybody encounters it. Everybody has to fight it, even pastors and ministry leaders. Yeah, and it is a cultural change uh, from the very top. Like it's, This is Definitely. something that has to be preached from the pulpit. And yeah. It's not to protect yourself as a pastor, but it's, it's, it's to commit your congregation and your people to the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a cultural thing. And like we have to be saturated in the gospel as an entire congregation in a way that we uh, see these situations in gracious ways. Does that make sense? Uh, in and, a way, it, and real quick, in a way, it protects the people. Yes. Yeah. Because if the people aren't expecting the pastor to be perfect, then when the pastor fails, then they don't all of a sudden their faith isn't so shaken up no. that they That's leave good. the faith altogether. That's good. And so the, the way that Paul David Tripp words that, uh, what I was saying is uh, he says a commitment to the spirit uh, attitudes and actions of restoration is vital. And so that's what I'm saying is that it has to be something that is preached from the pulpit, that we're preaching restoration, we're preaching the restoration side of the gospel to our people, that, that we just have a, a full um, knowledge of the gospel and everything that it's for. Does that make sense? And so we, our hearts are for the same things as the gospel. Well, I don't think we're, people aren't genuinely changed by pretenders, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when If we get up there, and, and I'm not... I need to say that this temptation is real for every pastor. Um, playing the game is a real temptation because it, it stinks to stand in front of people and say, I'm struggling, I'm hurting, this is bad, mm-hmm. this is a bad seed, whatever. But by pretending, I'm not helping people because all I'm teaching them to do is pretend as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to live as pretenders that they've got nothing going on. They're keeping their sin in darkness uh, the same way that I'd be keeping mine in darkness where it festers and grows. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, you're hurting your people. Every leader that is pretending is hurting the people he's leading. Um, and, and so you, you've got to stop playing the game at some point. If the gospel's true, you've got to live it out as, as in honesty. I want to read this. Um, I, I, I love the word. So Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, starting with 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Okay. I love this. Paul's significantly into his ministry at this point, And he still says, I'm the worst sinner there is. Mm-hmm. Do you know who the worst sinner I know is? Me. I know every thought I've had. I know every emotion yeah. I've felt. I know all the things that are going on. There is no human that I can prove has sinned more than I have. Mm-hmm. I can prove mine. I don't want to tell any of you guys all the things I've done. Yeah. But the fact is I've got to live that out. That has to be honest and true for people so that they can accept the fact that, yes, you're still struggling. And that's, that's okay. Christ designed, God designed salvation this way as a uh, already but not yet. 
Yes, and already not yet is something that we've talked about before. The already of just like we've been saved, we've been changed, but we're not yet there. We we mm-hmm. haven't we haven't we haven't reached uh, heaven. We haven't reached glory. We haven't reached perfection. We we're not there yet, guys. We have a long ways to go. We have a lot more to learn. Uh, we have a lot uh, to take in. We have a lot of transforming yet to go inside of our lives. Yeah. I, I, let me. Uh, I'll give an example for this. Like, uh, so the pretending thing. Uh, Eric, you mentioned this. I do love pickleball. Uh, what if I told everybody in this room that I am a literal professional, like an actually professional pickleball? I'm far from that. For, it would be a lie. Record. It would be a lie. <laughs> and if I told everybody, listen, I'm a pro. I can teach you how to be a pro. And then I take somebody on the court who believes that I'm a pro, mm. and I teach them what I know at this point. Um, I am nowhere near this. Um, are they? And then the, I, I make them believe they're ready to go and play professional pickleball. What's going to happen when they step on the court? They're going to they're fail. fail. They're going to fail miserably because I'm a pretender mm-hmm. who taught somebody else to be wow. a pretender. That's what leaders, especially church leaders, are doing when they play the game of sin-free life over here. They're creating pretenders, and they're setting them up to fail when they go out to real life. Yeah, or even if we try to put this picture out that uh, just because I'm following Jesus and I'm living inside of my calling means that my relationship with Jesus is amazing, and it's just a waterfall at all times. Like right. That's also an inaccurate picture that we try to give people, too. Uh, sometimes people need to know that, no, I'm walking in a desert right now, and everything that I'm getting from God, I'm having to mm-hmm. dig for and scratch for and, and just fight for. I, I'm not um, walking hand-in-hand hand with Jesus and skipping down this sidewalk right now. No, I'm <laughs> wrestling with him in the mud and, and stuff. And so uh, we also have to paint that picture for people, too. Uh, and it all it is all about being real yeah. with our people. Well, and I mean that that is what you just said is true for me, Eric. Like this has honestly been the hardest year of my life that mm-hmm. I've gone through. Like I mean, there's been spiritual warfare, just struggles, all kind like stuff. I'm not going to walk through on the, on the on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the hardest, the most difficult. Mm-hmm. And you're right. There's a lot of places where that's not allowed to be true. I'm not allowed to have hard seasons or difficulties. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's not real. Yeah. And what he reminds us is that every member, uh, this is what Paul David Tripp says, he says, every member of the community is in the middle of their own sanctification. They're in the the middle of their own journey with Jesus, uh, learning about God, learning, growing in knowledge of him, uh, correcting, trying to learn how to live a new life that is not no longer living uh, how they used to, but now I'm, I've taken off my old self and I'm putting on a new, uh, a transformed life, and I'm trying to learn how to live this life. Right? I'm trying to walk with Jesus. So uh, it says, no leader is sin free. No leader lives above the great spiritual battle for the focus and rulership of his heart, and no leader has graduated from his need for grace. Uh, so every single one of us is wrestling around, fighting, trying to, um, to to hand our heart over to something. Uh, we're trying to fight for that control, right? To to hand our heart to God instead of to the world and the things that have ruled our lives in the past. And so, uh, pastors and leaders are not exempt from that at all. Like we're definitely in that fight as well. And so, when we begin to shift the culture and shift how we see leaders, like they're not people that we put on stools and uh, pedestals and stages and just praise them. No, they're people that are supposed to show us Christ and show us the struggle and show us how. Uh, our spiritual life is supposed to be right. They, they are supposed, and, and and in that they need to still show us the struggle as well. And that's yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah. And then the next thing he says is that uh, on page one eighty one in the middle he says ministry effectiveness is not to be com- confused with cleanliness. Mm. <laughs> 
Where did you learn to read? <laughs> Colin makes me nervous. <laughs> Leave that in. Cleanness. I haven't done this stuff with Cleanness. him in a long time. Colin makes me nervous. <laughs> Maybe a better word would have been cleanliness if he would have wrote, written it. Roten. Roten. See, I can't understand. Yeah, too. you're making fun of me. You can't do it either. <laughs> <laughs> and another thing he says on, on page 181, he says, ministry effectiveness is not to be confused with cleanness of heart. What you know about public persona of a leader does not mean you do not need to be concerned about his private life. And so that's what we're, we've, we've been talking about this. We've been mentioning this is that what you see, you know, what you see, uh, in public is not always what is going on in private, right? And, and that's um, and, and pastors are trained to do that because of like the culture that we're talking about. We can't mess up. We can't make mistakes. Um, and leaders are trained to do that because we can't mess up. We can't make mistakes. But yet, uh, the the honestly, guys, we we have to be vulnerable in order for us to grow stronger and to to get better and to walk a straighter path. We have to be able to be vulnerable in these things. That's why it's uh, this community is so important, right? Well, I think we're seeing the result of a lot of this game mm. being played right now with suicide on the rise. Yeah, because it's it's, it's a similar situation. Like you you never know what is going on behind the mask that someone puts on, and then before too long, it's either well, it's too late in mm-hmm. a lot of cases. Whether it's suicide, whether it's um, whether it's a pastor losing his position because of this instead of being uh, pushed into restorative grace. And it's just, it's something, I mean, I'll probably hark on this the whole time. It's something we have to correct. I mean, on, on an individual basis, each one of us locking arms, fighting for people's lives by not playing the game, by saying, Hey, look, look, y'all may put me on this pedestal, but far from perfect. Just like Paul said, just like Colin said, you know, it's 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 every <laughs> every man's battle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it made me think of that old book. <laughs> it's a good one. Yeah. Well, and it, one of the things that makes me think through is um, well, you, you said it, but I want to repeat it this way: we're seeing the results of the church leaving biblical ministry, um, mm-hmm. leaving a biblical leadership setup. So yeah. we followed corporations, right? Yeah. So corporations started doing this thing where it's like, hey. Uh, families leading a business or team leadership looks good, but the CEO that has this big personality, let's put him really in charge. Yeah. And businesses started doing well because personalities led in. This guy, usually those guys were ruthless and they became you know all the stuff. Well, the church looked at that and thought, we need the one man on top. Let's have this one man on top that's untouchable. We'll get the best guy there is, put him up there and say, do your thing. Yeah. And that guy is set up to fail. Yeah. That is not, you can't find that in the Bible. It doesn't exist, that style of leadership. There's always a plurality of elders leading mm-hmm. every church where you're together walking through this as in accountability in real life and accepting the fact that we're all struggling with failures, all of us. Yeah. Every single one, every, every man in this room has failures in your life right now. Um, and that's, that's part of what our walk through grace is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've, we've got to get rid of this terrible structure. I agree, we, we've yeah. got to be a part of the change. Yeah. Without going into too much detail, like the, the past couple of days, like you're talking about, like I've firsthand experienced the the feeling like, like when everything's going great right now, like it feels like things are going great. And then like something hits and God has taken a part of my life that has needed to change for a while and has mm. um, really, really like worked on me the past couple of days. And of course, our nature is to be stubborn when we don't want something to change 
um, when we don't want the change that is coming, we tend to like, like, no, I'm fighting hard against this. And so he's, he's had put me in a place where like, like on my knees and my face in the dirt, like telling me like, I, you will obey me. This is what I want for you. It is for your good. And so, uh, the connection to, to this whole thing, I just like, I don't know. It's, we we're talking about leaders, um, a lot through this because I mean, that's what our podcast is about. But I think it's also important that, um, in, in this whole thing that we understand that everybody is on that playing field. Everybody has those, those struggles. Everybody has those times in their life where uh, they're going through things where the Lord's trying to teach them things that they're, um, you know, they are finding hard against him uh, mm-hmm. with. And it's, I, I'm just speaking for like experience of what I've experienced the past little bit is that whenever we make way for the Lord and obey what he's trying to get us to do, uh, that will put us in a much better place there. Yeah, I think uh, something that he says on the bottom of page 181 that kind of puts it in perspective is he says this. He says, every leadership community has moments when they are called to be agents of God's restoring grace. And, and the way he makes that sound so small, um, where he says just moments. It's not like you have situations, you have catastrophes, you have tragic moments where you have uh, tragedy where you can show mercy and where you can show restoring mercy. No, it's it, you have small moments. Uh, like you, you have small moments and conversations and opportunities to show this restoring mercy at all times. Uh, and, and so it doesn't have to build up and uh, tragedy doesn't have to happen before you can uh, show restoring mercy. Uh, a pastor doesn't have to be in, um, in so far into sin where he has to leave his job before somebody approaches him and checks on his soul and says, hey, something doesn't seem right. Are you okay? Does that make sense? Uh, and, and so uh, that that those are kind of the restoring mercy conversations that we're talking about. It's small opportunities where you can check on a leader uh, and say, "Hey, things seem off with you. Are you okay? Uh, hey, you seem like you're struggling with something. Let's talk about it." Kind of thing. And so those are those are moments that we get and we must take advantage of. Um, and I guess I guess if we continue the culture that we have right now, where where pastors can't make mistakes like that, those. That also means that it shuts the doors of those conversations. People don't feel like they can approach pastors and actually ask them about their 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 personal spiritual life mm. uh, because they 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 have put them in their minds. They're way up here. They're unapproachable. Mm-hmm. They they're untouchable kind of thing. And, and so there's another change that you have to make. Pastors are approachable. They're people just like you. So go talk to them. Go ask. Go, go check on them. Go see how they're actually doing. Uh, because I guarantee you, if they're up on that pedestal by themselves, they're on an island by themselves, and they're struggling with things that that they need some help. They need help carrying. It says on the top of 182, if you've made uh, unbiblical assumptions, you are unprepared for these moments of ministry, and they quickly morph into panic and or anger, punishment and separation. It has been sad to see in the face of leaders fall, how many leadership communities respond in one or two ways, neither are restorative. And he goes on to explain the one or two ways is one, you kind of just put, you kick it under the rug. It's okay. You know, you just the close people in ministry to you only know, and it's fine. We'll just keep, we'll move on. Or, or they just, just outright fire them. If it's bad enough, if it's gotten out public and, and neither of those, like Colin was saying, are biblical, um, you know, biblical leadership styles, but the, neither neither of these, you know, responses are biblical mm. responses. I mean, the whole Bible, the, I mean, yeah, the whole Bible is just full of, of mess ups. 
you know, rising to the top, them realizing they need God and that they're going to, they're going to grab onto this redemptive grace and they're, they're going to make something of themselves. They're, they're going to take this on. They're going to take up the cross and they're going to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's just the beauty of grace. Joel, didn't you have something from 182? Well, yeah, in the following in the following paragraph, and I'm, I'm going to resist to I'm going to try to resist to read the entire paragraph because it just kind of explains kind of what can happen. And he says in the first way, a leadership community and their ability to believe what has been revealed about a leader they thought they knew and could trust rises almost immediately to the leader's defense. Mm-hmm. So you get these these people that are just saying, no, 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 this can't be true. This can't be true. And skipping on down, uh, it says, the result is that the leader doesn't even get convicting and restorative care he needs from the community of grace that surrounds him. Even worse, the sin that has gripped his heart and begun to control his life is given room to grow even deeper roots and take a firmer hold. Mm. I mean, that's just, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not good. I mean, we, we, we know... This stuff compounds itself, right? It, it 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 goes from one thing. I mean, we all know how how sin goes. You you take a little here, and then it's just it's just a slope that just just kind of starts to slowly increase until you're just sliding and can't control it, you know. And you need you you need. Well, no, I mean, you always need you need others around you to help you before you ever mm-hmm. get to that spot, but. There's so much. There's so much we can do before it ever gets to this point. Eric, you want to read about the second way in the next paragraph, or say anything about that? <laughs> I don't actually have anything underlined right there. So, if somebody else does, that'd be fine. But, um, yeah. yeah, the second way is just talking about you know they quickly share details publicly that should have never been shared, and that and that could or will harm their fellow leader, leader and his family. And then they soon break relationship with the leader, and because they have, their communications with him are now legal rather than pastoral. Mm. He's no longer considered a part of the leadership community, so they negotiate some kind of severance package and move on. So that's kind of those two ways that he's going deeper into. Yeah, I think um, that- not not just not just that that shock of yeah. you know firing or support. Um, but going on just just kind of in detail, you know what? In even more ways that this just splinters that leader. Yeah, and I think it's sad that we think that just if we if we fire a pastor uh, because of his sin, or if we let go of a leader because of their sin, or or just because they're you know, not able to lead well, or something like that. If we when we let go of somebody um, legally like that. Uh, that's the end. That's that's the sad thinking that we have. That that's the end. That's it. That's we wash our hands of them, mm-hmm. and we completely forget about the fact that there's so much more to that person than just their job and their calling and stuff like that. There, there's a soul there that we need to mend to, and there's a soul there that we need to lift up to God, and there's a soul there that we need to to reach for Christ. And so uh, that's kind of I feel like the message that he's leading uh, this chapter with is that like. Um, 
He says it at the top of page 183, the best, and I'll, I'll read it and just well, I'll read it now, actually. Uh, I'm, I'm not arguing, uh, so, no, I'm going to explain it. Uh, what he, he's not saying that there's never a moment where you do actually fire somebody or or you do cut ties or something. There's sure. never, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying that no matter what, work through it, and grace will abound. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is, is that it should be our, our last uh, effort. Like, there should be so many other things happen before we get to the point where it's just like you're fired you're done we're finished with you um there should there should be so much reach outreach and, and and grace and mercy shown to this person there should be so much ministry done to this person's life before we ever get to the point of just you're done finished by well, cooked well and i'll say this like who in here who, who truly believes this pastor in this story um this was like overnight all of a sudden he just got to this place right this is something like he was in uh, mental, he's self-medicating and he's trying to treat what's painful inside of his life. He's, it, it's destructive ways, it's wrong ways. But this built. And the reason it built for so long is because obviously he didn't feel like he had a safe place to say anything. Mm-hmm. He knew what this church would do. He knew if he said, guys, I'm struggling and here's what's going on with me right now, I need some help, they would have fired him. So he had to keep living this darkness because he knew that, that it was. Uh, he knew what the, the answer would be. He knew the culture of his church. But here's the problem with that. They're going to hire another guy, and they're going to tell this next guy, um, hey, we fired our last pastor because we caught him doing this. Mm-hmm. What's that guy hearing behind the, uh, in, in the words that are not being spoken? Don't sin or you're done. Mm-hmm. What's yeah. probably going to happen to their next pastor? He's, He's going to live sin. in secret sin. Yeah. So all you're doing is you're creating a cycle of secret, deceptive sin inside of your leaders if you don't accept that they are sinners. Mm-hmm. And so let them be that. Like, Again, Paul David's group is also not saying let's all embrace sin and say, hey, it's okay now. Like it's not swing the pendulum to to licentiousness. Mm -hmm. It's saying let's accept the fact of the truth of it and then live in the light where with uh, sin being exposed, that's where you grow through it. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't think I've ever conquered sin in darkness, ever. I've lived there. I've had it, but I've never conquered sin there. The only time I've I've found victory inside of sin, especially sin that's kind of settled into my life, has been when it's been exposed. Mm, yep. And the only way it gets exposed in a good way and, and victory comes is if that exposing happens in a safe place. Yeah, I have this... Um, <laughs> I have this you have Bible a, a verse, verse... memorized, don't you? It just like burned into my memory <laughs> because every time I call him and walk into my office and or our office at the time, uh, every time he would walk into the office, I would be working under lamplight, which is what I work under right now. My fluorescence never come on in my office. And so he would walk in, and his old eyes couldn't see. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, but he would come in, and he would say, take no part of the unfruitful deeds of the darkness. Instead, expose them. Every day. Every day. Uh, Every day. Yes. All the time. And so that that is burned into my memory. And so, yeah, there is no fight. There is, we're not even in the fight if we're not willing to expose our, mm-hmm. our sin. We talked about it last night in our talks. Like, you have to be open and willing to be to be real about your sin, be real about the consequences of sin, be real about where sin has you and where it has you captive and, and where it's holding you down and stuff. You have to be willing to share that with someone and expose that so that you can have the strength to overcome it, uh, so you can have the strength to surrender that to Christ and confess it to Christ. Uh, and, and you do that with a brother, with a sister that, that can help you um, 
fight this thing with you, right? Okay. Yeah. I got a weird another analogy just because oh, this is fun for me. Um, it just <laughs> made, you're saying fight. It makes me think of you know putting on the armor of God. So sin is uh, a lack of righteousness, right? So we have a breastplate that's supposed to cover us. It's the goodness that like protects us from our real enemy, right? Um, what good am I doing if I get up on stage and I have a breastplate that is full of holes, full of them mm. because of because I've failed, right? I, no. The enemy's attacked. I've lost. I've been stabbed so many times. It's full of them. But then I cover it with a really good sheet of aluminum foil. <laughs> How strong is that? That's now, good. I'm going to look great. I'm going to look the part. I'm going to be the knight in shining armor. <laughs> But you could poke your, uh, you could poke through it with your finger mm. because of how many holes are there. Mm. I'm not doing myself any good, yeah. and I'm not doing my church any good by walking up with that type of armor. I'm, I'm not teaching them how to fight, right? I'm teaching them to go out and fight a battle with faulty armor. Boom. So good. <laughs> You're welcome. You've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> Uh, and so the last thing he says before we get into a narrative, before we get into a story, and I love the story that he uses in this chapter. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but uh, the last, the last thing he says is, if sin still remains, and it does, all right. That's that's a we know this, all right. We know that sin is a part of our world, and it always will be. Uh, then every leadership community needs to be committed and prepared for restoration. Uh, and I love that he says committed and prepared. So we need to be committed to it. Uh, we need to turn our hearts over to. We need to hand our hearts over to this and be committed to uh, being about restoration and being about the gospel. And then we also need to be prepared. Uh, we need to prepare our minds. Like, what if I find out my pastor is doing this? How am I actually going to handle it? Well, we need to be, 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 be mm, wow. We need to be prepared uh, to show people grace and love and, and to show them scripture and show them, uh, uh, you know, our open arms to embrace them instead of our pitchforks to kill them after they mess up. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the story he t- uh, talks about is is Jonah. Yeah, he was a great leader. <laughs> yeah, he, he was good at running. Uh, <laughs> uh, He's so, a good athlete. No, yeah. <laughs> so a restoration narrative uh, that he gives us is talking about Jonah. We know about Jonah. You know, God called him to go. Uh, to a place, and Jonah took off the opposite direction. He, he decided to run. He tried to hop on a ship and take off, and uh, God sends a storm and says, you're really going to this place, uh, and, and swallows him up in a big fish so he can think about it for a few days. Uh, that would be... Anybody think that would be kind of nice to just be able to like <laughs> disappear for a few days in the belly of a fish no, and just have a, some quiet? You know what that smell like? No, yeah, you're right. Uh, maybe I, maybe that's the origin of sushi. <laughs> Jonah got in there and was like, "Actually, this uh, this looks pretty good." No, I'm just got kidding, some but, seaweed here. Some. But you think about the the quietness of, of that moment, and, and it shows God's heart for restoration, right? It shows God's heart to to chase us down and to uh, to to not give up on us. Uh, when we mess up, when we make mistakes, like that's that's what's going on here is that God uh, pursues our hearts and convicts our hearts. And uh, he gave Jonah a nice moment, a nice three days to just sit and listen to him. Uh, talking about God getting your attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, let me get you, swallow you up in a fish and just like let you sit for it and bake for a few days. Uh, but uh but this is what he says on page 184. He says, remember, the way the gospel works is that we have to hear the bad news before the good news will mean anything to us. Uh, that is literally like, uh, we have to understand that the gospel is first offensive to us, right? It, it, is, it is hard for us to hear that we are dirty, that we are wrong, that we are uh, uh, powerless and, and unworthy. It's hard for us to hear those things, and it's hard for us to accept those things because our pride in our, uh, that we build up wants to say that I am, I'm strong. 
I work out every day. No, uh, but I'm strong. I can do this. I have power. Uh, my last name is Powers. I have power. No, no, I'm sorry. Uh, that's the worst. I hate when I make jokes like that. But uh, but it's just so it's you. It is. I know. Um, accept it. But, uh, but but we have to know that the gospel is offensive first. It tells us how how bad we are, how dead we are, how separated from God we are. And then this, long before it ever comes around and tells us, but God has chosen us and God has, has done everything that we need to, to be saved and, and we just have to hand our lives over to him. Mm. It's really good. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, man. Um, and that's what's going on here in Jonah's life. Uh, Jonah doesn't want to go to the hard place. He doesn't want to, commute to, want to communicate the hard message. He doesn't want to, te- uh, to take on this culture. Um, and so he runs, right? And that's, that's what we do a lot of times. We don't want to face the fact that our lives are wrong. We don't want to face the fact that, that our lives are dirty. We don't want to face the fact that we're going to have to live different and, and do things differently when we handle it. We don't want to face this transformation that God is about to do inside of our lives. And so what do we do? We run away from this message. Uh, we reject this message. Um, or we could surrender to this message and just live in that, God's goodness and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and his freedom. That's yeah. if he's anything like me, he's 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 putting himself in the shoes of the Ninevites and being like, I don't really want some stranger coming up to me and saying, you know, repent, you know, yeah. like like it's hard, man. It, it's hard. Sometimes depending on what light you look at it, right? Sometimes it's really hard to do what God's called you to do when you look at maybe how big it is if you put yourself in somebody else's shoes but man if you're if you're committed to the gospel if you're committed to Jesus yeah i mean i've always i've always heard people say right it's it's they're not rejecting you mm-hmm. they're rejecting christ mm-hmm. for some people that makes it easier for some people it doesn't it's, it's it's still hard sure but it's 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 something we all have to work through um thankfully in this case you know <laughs> um god gave jonah a chance mm-hmm. you know um, I like how uh, uh, Paul David Triff says, uh, if it were him, he would be like, Jonah, you run from me, you're done. It's not like I have a shortage of prophets. You know, that wasn't that wasn't God in this sense. Thankfully, God is not us, and He doesn't respond in the same way we do. Uh, but He 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 gives us He gives us chances. Sometimes those chances might run out, so it's not like you don't want to get too comfortable in the fact of, oh, well, God will give me another chance. God will give me another chance. God will give me another chance. It keeps saying that. No, you, we, you, you gotta, you gotta shape up mm-hmm. at some point, or else end up in the belly of a fish, right? Yeah. Sushi. But it, uh, Eric, back to your point you made earlier. Even that's restorative, right? So this yeah. was a punishment. Yeah. But the punishment wasn't you're gonna sit here and rot for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. It was it was a punishment that was called to restoration, and eventually Jonah does, does get his next shot. Um, it makes me think of uh, Paul when he uh, calls the church. There's a, a leader that's in terrible, terrible sin. Um, and uh, it's in chapter f- five. Uh, he tells the church, hey, turn this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his soul may be saved. Mm-hmm. Um, so he says, let that guy go. Like this can't be in your church. This can't be, this is awful sin that's gonna spread. But the reason to hand him over to his choices, let him live this out, was so that as he faced the consequences of sin, which is death and destruction, that that would turn him back towards saying, man, I... 
I had Christ. Like I, I was walking in forgiveness of sins and that's where forgiveness is. I'm, I'm gonna come back. And in Second Corinthians, we see, hey, don't keep adding a burden. We, what we assume is a burden of uh, rejecting this guy because he's walked enough pain, accept him back in. And so we see that, that did this, I, I'm assuming this is the same guy who uh, did eventually walk through repentance and the church accepts him back in. Um, so it's all, it's restorative. Even the punishments are supposed to be restorative. And the goal is bring back in. Yeah. And he goes on to say on page 186, he says, restorative grace doesn't always look nice and attractive. And this goes along with what you're saying or feel warm and affirming, but rather is uncomfortable and hard. And so that's, that's what discipline look feels like. Sometimes it's not always nice. It was never fun getting a spanking from my dad when I was a kid, but, uh, but it was out of, out of out of love that he did that to correct me and to 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 set me on a better path right and well, to teach me necessary. what was right and wrong right, yeah, right. And, and so god's doing the same thing he's like restorative grace i'm trying to restore you i'm trying to set you on the correct path here i'm trying to correct you uh and sometimes that doesn't feel good that doesn't feel right uh well he's literally ripping your flesh off of you he's mm-hmm. literally ripping the he's he's transforming your heart the the, the most inner darkest like inside of you is being transformed into something that is is not natural to humanity. Yeah. You know, it's it's supposed to be uncomfortable. What what he says just a couple of lines down he says the heart of God's restorative grace is his zeal to rescue us from us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's the thing here. He's he's not punishing us to to uh to uh, just to just punish us and to have fun. No, he's he, he's teaching us uh, like we're, he's rescuing us from us, us being natural natural sinners, na- us being naturally separated from him, us naturally not living uh, in accordance to God and and in uh, in harmony with him, uh, us naturally running the opposite direction of God. That's who we are. This is the us that God is trying to save us from. And so. Uh, his restorative grace is, is to rescue us from us, and, and so I think that's an interesting. And, and so that's I think that's cool uh, to think about. Also, when we're talking about reaching pastors and reaching leaders that are are living in sin and, and that need to this restorative grace, like that's the idea. Like I'm not going to uh, to talk to talk to this leader or this pastor about their sin or just to to get a pat on my back. I'm trying to save you from you. I'm trying to uh, to pull you back into the community of God. I'm trying to pull you back into this uh, this relationship so you can see the grace and love and mercy of God through me. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it's really good. I mean, God reveals himself to us as a father, right? And so when I mean, we talked about this with kids, like, uh, you know, I think with my kids, you didn't like, you didn't like the spankings. No. Um, nobody does. They're not fun. I uh, did the grill, like the, the gator roll. And mm. when I was getting a spanking, I would roll around. So my, my dad would just hit me wherever. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't help. <laughs> oh, that sounds worse. <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. Um, but what happens if a parent never disciplines their child? What does that child turn out to be? A monster. A monster. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. And, yeah. uh, you know, and, and typically they get very, they get, uh, they, they go through a lot of hurt. Yeah. Um, yeah. With, uh, with my kids, I have, you know, with my two year old daughter, um, she doesn't understand necessarily what is hot and what's not hot at this point, like on the stove, things like that. Is it loving for me to be like, Ren, play on the stove and let's turn the eyes on? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> if she starts turning the stove on and I tell her no, she does it again and again, I'm just like, okay, now it's time for you to sit in the chair and be in timeout. Am I being mean to her? No, I love her. I love her dearly. So I'm going to even make her have a time in punishment to help her understand what's going to protect her from hurting herself. 
Yeah. This is the same method that God does with us. There's a reason why God never changes what he calls us in Scripture. We're called uh, typically one of two things, right? Children and sheep. We're never called men and women. It's not adults. We, yeah. no, we don't grow up in this. No. We live, I mean, so it, the way that God has, uh, sees us is we're constantly, we're still children. Yeah. And we struggle. And in arrogance, a lot of times we don't like to think that, but we struggle just like children. And we still need our father to tell us, hey, that's hot. Quit touching it. Quit yeah. messing with that. It's going to burn you. Um, sheep, they're very <laughs> dumb animals. Uh, they need a shepherd to survive. Mm-hmm. That's us, including pastors. Mm-hmm. We don't lose that constitution just because we take on a different role. I'm still a child. I'm still a sheep. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm getting a, 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 an under-shepherd role where I'm getting to do some of this teaching and feeding, but that doesn't change the fact that I'm still also a sheep and I'm still also a child, and I'm still struggling in those exact same ways that a child does. And I still need my father and my brothers and sisters to say, hey, I did that before. That's going to hurt. Don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. And when we do that correcting, it's not, we don't, we don't pick and choose who we correct either mm-hmm. uh, based on who we think deserves the grace of God and who doesn't. Uh, that's mm-hmm. kind of another point that he makes inside of this is like Jonah got angry uh, that God was calling him there to Nineveh because he was like, those people don't deserve your grace. Like that, that was kind of one of the things that he, he was angry about. Like, I don't, I'm not going there. They don't deserve it. And, and it's not our call to, de- to, to, to make that decision on who deserves God's grace and not God's grace is, is here and offered to all. And, and so um, this, is, this is cool what he says. He's like, when, when he should have been humbled uh, mm-hmm. and encouraged by the power and presence of God's grace, he was angry at the gift of grace to people he didn't think deserved it. And so uh, when we should be humbled and just in awe of God and his grace and his power to, to, to reach and to save and to, uh, to call and to convict and to, uh, to pour out grace to all people, like that's, that should be our, we should just be amazed at that uh, incredible story and that incredible power. Instead, we're sitting here being judgmental and thinking you don't deserve his grace you don't maybe you do i don't know but Mm -hmm. that's not our call and that that's another thing that i think when we reach out to people uh to correct and to to um to restore it's not our place to say who deserves god's grace and who doesn't Mm. yeah i love it at the bottom of 187 right after that we are confronted here with the fact that the restoration of a leader cannot just be formal situational or locational but must always be heart deep. Mm. Restoration that isn't heart deep sets up the leader and his community for further problems because the core of the problem, the leader's heart, has not been restored to where God designed it to be. It's something I've been, that God's been just pouring into my mind just consistently. The reality of whoever we're ministering to, how important it is to get heart deep. That's the only way people change. That's the only way reading pastors change. And just to, like Colin was saying, everybody's human, right? Pastors mm-hmm. are human. It's the only way humans change is when that transformation gets heart deep. Mm-hmm. You know, we stop treating symptoms, and we 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 you know we talk about the symptoms. That that's that's fine. We can. But it doesn't really take place. That transformation doesn't really take place until it digs down deep, deep into the heart. Yeah. And that was the issue from the very beginning with Jonah. Is it was it was a heart issue, and God recognized that. And, and I think it's important for us to realize that God just didn't just turn and abandon His heart. That was really cool. Uh, that God didn't just like say. 
you're fired, you're done, goodbye, like we do, <laughs> right? Uh, no, he, he, he chased him down. He set up this illustration. He set up this incredible picture where, where he, he, you know, sent the storm. All of it was, all of it was created and, and set in, 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 in action, uh, chasing his heart and rest, uh, for restoration in his heart. And so what it says is that uh, at the bottom of 188, he says, we should not assume that because a leader is still doing his assigned ministry duties that he is spiritually where God wants him to be. And so what we have to see inside of Jonah's heart is that he was completely out of step, completely abandoned his uh, his ambassador calling. Uh, he had completely gone out of step with what God has called him to do. And so we can't say we can't assume that if a leader or a pastor is just going through the motions of ministry, just going through the motions of of getting the job done and planning the events and and getting up and giving a little bit of a speech every Sunday, uh, that they are doing the ministry duties uh, that they are called to do. Uh, and we don't we cannot assume that they're also taking care of their spiritual soul. Well, that's, that's what I was going to say. I, I, you take the story of Jonah out of context. Let's 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 do let's do some bad Bible study here, and let's <laughs> only do Jonah preaches to Nineveh. The entire city converts. Mm-hmm. All right, that alone. What kind of story is that? Major success story. This yeah, dude's going to yeah. build a mega church. He's going to be like <laughs> next celebrity pastor. This dude's got it going on, right? Yeah. He yeah. preaches a message that a whole city just repents. This is amazing. Uh, and you could say you could look at that, and in that context, you're like, Jonah's the dude, right? Yeah. If you look at the real story, Jonah's not. He preached a message that I mean was incredible. These people repented, mm-hmm. and he was mad before he got there. He was <laughs> he tried to leave. He was in a little bit of restoration beforehand, but then when God truly does relent and doesn't uh, give His wrath to the city of Nineveh. Jonah becomes angry again, and then goes off and pouts like a baby <laughs> out in the wilderness. He's like, "God, you, I can't even have a tree to have some shade." I mean, he's just crying. Like, I would have punched Jonah at this point. Like, and he's just <laughs> acting like a child. But and then I look at that and think, "Oh, well, that's me being a child, right?" <laughs> right, right. So just because you see success mm. inside of someone's life, mm-hmm. or you see them on stage, or they're saying good words, or they're singing great songs, or whatever, it can look like success. In that moment, that doesn't mean anything about their heart. Who in here has uh, ever gone through the motions and had a bad place in your heart? I think everybody's raising their hands. Except Eric. Oh, Eric's <laughs> oh my gosh. Come on. I just, <laughs> don't, don't, do that. don't do that to me, guys. <laughs> Ridiculous. Oh, man. But, I mean, we've all done that, right? Mm-hmm. I, I have I've fallen into the trap of playing the game. And the, the trap is look the part no matter what you're feeling, no matter mm-hmm. what you're going through. And my heart was in a terrible place even though I was doing right things and saying right stuff. Um, and so, yeah, we, we've got to realize that just because a minister, just because somebody is in the right spot saying the right words, that does not mean that their heart is in an okay place. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think when we go for restoration that we had, I like the ne- one of the next points he makes is that uh, restoration never minimizes the damaging reality of sin. When I g- do go to... Uh, approach someone and to have a conversation and to restore. I'm never going to like try to pet them and make them feel good about where they are in life. I'm never going to minimize the damaging results of sin, uh, the reality of sin, and what sin does inside of your to your spiritual soul and what it does inside of you. Uh, but while it takes sin seriously, it also believes in the power of restorative grace. Uh, what we have to understand is that there's a balance where, where like, I'm going to tell you the dangers of sin and, and the reality of sin and what it's done to you, but also I'm going to show you 
how incredible God's grace is and how powerful and how it can overcome all these things in this uh, on the other side of the scale, uh, how it can restore and it can save you from this and it can give you freedom. And, and that's stuff that you can experience through God's restorative grace. Hmm. He says one more, one more line. He says, it believes in God's power to turn a heart and rebuild a life. And so that is our motivation when we go to reach people um, that are in sin, that need to be restored. That's our goal is knowing uh, that it's not our words, it's not us that's going to do this, uh, but knowing where their heart is at, knowing the dangers of sin, knowing the reality of sin, and knowing that God can transform and change and, and give new beginnings and new life. Right? Yeah, I like that. He talks about like, too, restoration isn't motivated by seeing how fast we can get leader back their saddle. Like, it's not the motivation. Is it just putting them back where they came from? Like, getting them back to that. It's mm-hmm. it's changing their heart. Like he talked about earlier. Like, it's it is that heart change that is important and not. And if we would go about restoration like just trying to put people back as fast as we could, um, then our motivations are all wrong. Yeah. Oh, the testimony the church could have if we went about this the correct way and just how the, the world would be able to look in and see God's grace just through those testimonies and those mm. stories uh, if the church handled this correctly. Um, so leaders, that that's our challenge. Uh, and, and we're challenging ourselves as well. I think because we, we know that we haven't handled this correctly. I, I have asked uh, leaders to step aside before because of things uh, that was going on and I, I didn't handle it correctly and I probably should have uh, gone for restoration more, and I probably should have been more involved in their life after they walked away from leadership inside of our inside of our ministry and stuff. And so it's like, uh, and, and so I think the challenge from this uh, is to is to what to change the culture, right? Uh, let's you know, let's approach pastors, let's check on their souls, let's not never let's never assume that they are uh, just taking care of their own spiritual soul and they've got it all set, they got it all right, and and they're doing well. Let's let's check in on our pastors and our leaders. Um, let's also, uh, as leaders, be vulnerable to that. Let's uh, allow people in. Uh, let's have a circle, a community of people that we can trust and we can really unload on and just be and be in this fight together, right? Um, and, and let's uh, let's believe in um, the power of confession, confession to God, confession to one another, and how restorative that can be because it it exposes our sin. It lets the light in, uh, and, and with that light comes God's freedom and forgiveness and restoration. Um, let's uh, believe that we need to go reach some people that are living in secret sin, and we need to not never be afraid to expose that sin, not in a judgmental way, not in a way that is, is light on sin or easy on sin, but in a way that is direct, in a way that is gracious, in a way that, that brings along with that uh, the power of God's restorative grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that we forget the uh, the scripture in, in Revelation. I mean, we as a church sometimes um, forget this. It's um, we're overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimonies. And I mean, us exhibiting faith that Jesus has and did has saved us and has restored us and has delivered us is all that's doing. And when you share that with others, is it, all that's doing is building up each other's faith, and that's building us up stronger and better. And 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 we are overcomers by the blood of the lamb. Mm-hmm. 
And I mean, that that's just incredible. And the fact that God still wants to use us as messed up as we are, is just incredible. It's still just so amazing. And Paul Tripp hits on that a little bit in, in, in that Jonas uh, section, but... I feel like you're going to sing Ren Collective on a yeah. Sunday morning scene because that's, the, that's two episodes in a row you've you've talked about a Ren Collective song. Yeah. I'm just saying, just saying. Yeah. something to something to add to your 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 list there at the end, Eric. That I feel like we've kind of touched on over the weeks. Keep it small, you know. Jesus mm-hmm. Jesus built he 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 took twelve lives. He took twelve men, and he taught them all that he could. I mean, he, he did do, you know, Sermon on the Mount. He ministered to, to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about close relationships, I mean, you could you could narrow it down to even three, mm-hmm. right, with that. Don't feel like you have to go out and save the world. Mm-hmm. Again, this is heart deep. And you're only going to be able to get heart deep with a few people. Mm-hmm. And then it's multiplication or replication from there. I think the only other thing that we could do in terms of changing the culture. Eric, you, you hit this some, but the vulnerability, I, I think, yes, with, with a few, but I think that with leaders in the church, I think that God, um, maybe he's called us to come and be a little more um, reckless with our vulnerability. And uh, maybe there's times that in front of the church, more often in front of your youth group, in front of others, we need to be more open about the fact that we struggle. And I, I don't think that means you list every sin every week. I think that that's something that we, we never see scripture um, show. But I, I think we're going to have to pave the way. This has been uh, ingrained in our cult, in our church culture for a long time. The the game, right? Like that's been there for decades. Um, it's not going to change by us continue to play the game, but then secretly not play the game. I think we're going to have to be uh, very recklessly vulnerable and and say, hey. This is a bad week. It's a bad day. This is a bad time. Hey, I'm struggling. This is uh, this is the time that I'm, I'm hurting. Hey, I'm not been a great father this week. I've been. I haven't given enough time to my kids. I think we're gonna have to say things like that yeah. um, and really be open with the with some of those struggles to give people the the power to know that they can they can struggle too. Yeah, I think this is a good way for us to end this uh, on on page 190, the last page of the chapter, in the last paragraph of the chapter. He says, "May our hearts be filled with gratitude as we consider." that we have all been restored by God's grace. We are all being restored right now by that same grace, and we all will be finally restored by one who will not quit until his restorative mercies have completely rebuilt us into his own image. And, uh, And may that gratitude of heart shape our response to fellow leaders when sin rears its ugly head. I think that's a great challenge to end on, and you guys can... Rewind and listen to that again. Even my stutters uh, a few times, but uh, I think that's a good a good challenge to end in this episode with. So, you guys agree? Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. All right, Colin. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having uh, me, man. We'll probably invite you back. Uh, maybe uh, it depends on if we get to Joel do a second might. season or not. Yeah, Joel, Joel can text you next time because I'm never asking you back. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Thank you so much for joining us for the Church at Grace Point Leadership Podcast. Follow the podcast. Share it with people that you believe could use it. Give us some feedback. Feedback. Ask questions. <laughs> Join the conversation. You can do that by emailing us at Grace Point. Uh, at, at podcast at gracepoint.church. There we go. Uh, we would love to hear from you guys. We might even mention some of your questions on the next show. Uh, Colin, thank you again for so much for coming. Uh, for Colin Cook, Sam Connor, Justin Muck, and Joel Scoggins, I'm Eric Powers. See you next time.
<laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> We hope you've enjoyed the Church at Grace Point Leadership Podcast. Make sure to follow the show and share it with leaders in your life. Pick up a copy of Lead by Paul David Tripp and join the conversation. We'd love to hear your feedback, answer your questions, and have conversations about Jesus with you. You can contact us by email at podcast at gracepoint.church. Thank you for listening.